0: Every episode, I ask every guest on this podcast how they would like to be introduced. Many, though not all, guests will introduce themselves as, My name is so-and-so, I have worked for X number of years in A, B, and C industries. I've done this, I built this, I did that. And yet, it turns out that when it comes to being hired, when it comes to how valuable a person is on the job market, the number of years is no proxy for how well you can do your stuff. How then are those people who wear their years of experience as a badge of honor coping? What are they now doing that their experience in and of itself is perceived as being of little value? This is Costa Company, the Ken's weekly podcast about work and workplaces. I'm your host, Neha. And this week, we're going to talk about what the experienced in the workforce are doing to stay relevant now that their experience itself doesn't count for very much. One hint, It's the same thing that younger people are doing and we call it Moonlighting.
1: IT industry, software IT industry with more than 30 years of experience, worked in diverse areas like product engineering, systems engineering, learning and development, competency frameworks, et cetera. Currently, I am a freelance consultant in the area of education and technology.
0: This is Ramki Krishnan, who other than his 30 years of experience, is especially valuable to talk to because he's worked in tech across the biggest, most tenuring companies in the US, in Bangalore and in Chennai. And he's also worked in learning and development, where he was tasked with figuring out what skills the business needed and who in the business had them and what he could do to bridge the gap.
1: We used to call it the technology cycle, right? Which is the time between a technology, one technology completely gets replaced by a different technology. It used to be six to seven years. Now it's more like six to 12 months. So the reality is that whatever technology we are working on could very well become obsolete in 12 months and be replaced with something else.
0: He's specifically talking about SaaS products. But if you think about it, this applies to pretty much every industry touched by innovation. It doesn't matter how well you know marketing if you don't understand social media. It doesn't matter how good you are at retail if you don't understand data analytics. It doesn't matter if you understand fraud but not cybersecurity. Tech has evolved so fast that old experience comes to naught if it hasn't been able to adapt to changing tech. Okay,
1: so people do not become unskilled. Okay, they don't lose their skills. What happens is they become irrelevant skills which they have become irrelevant and that's the reality if you are an uh, employee who has been working for say for 10 years so what have you done in these 10 years you have some basic technical skills but pretty much you have become a manager but as a manager there are some value that you that some value that you bring to the organization right you have the domain knowledge you have the organizational context knowledge you have a knowledge about the customer etc these are all valuable stuff but what is hampering you is that you don't understand the technology And you don't understand how cloud technology works. Or the customer is saying, I want to automate this particular tasks, whatever you have been doing, using, say, machine learning or using some robotic process automation, etc. Again, something which you don't know about. So what do you do in these things? If you do not know the technology, you will be definitely at a loss. You will not be able to guide the customer. You will not be able to answer what the customer is asking for. You will have to probably depend on some of the techies in your team And it's uh, it's not a very happy state of things to be.
0: You could be a great people manager who really understands the organization you're working with well. You have years of learning about a market. But it comes to nothing if you don't understand the latest tech that's available to your competition. One day you find yourself redundant and you lose your job. This cycle is now happening faster than ever. My colleague Arundhati reported this as far back as in 2018. Headhunter, she wrote, was suddenly seeing a rush of resumes from 40 year olds who were being replaced by bots and boys. She wrote about someone with 25 years of experience who said he had only 20 years of experience, just so he sounded more relevant. Which brings us to the obvious question why aren't businesses upskilling their senior most employees if there is some value in their domain knowledge their tribal knowledge in their knowledge of an organization why not give those employees the most updated skills so you've seen firsthand how whether or not businesses take this seriously uh, and how they weigh their the, the price of a you know an experienced employee versus the price of a young employee uh, so what does your experience tell you about The uh, how businesses tend to view the value of this of upskilling.
1: Yeah, they do. They do value upskilling, and they do value the experience which uh, the experienced employees carry bring to the table, right? But having said that, doing upskilling from ground up is not very easy. So, where businesses typically struggle is if they say, you know, for example, I have say hundred. Middle level managers in this group, and I need to train them and I need to upskill them. The businesses will have a tough time in terms of defining how do you go about that. So, what is the kind of skills that they can train on? How will they, I mean, how how many of them are capable of learning or not capable of learning? So, in my experience, businesses do put in an effort to train people, okay, to upskill their people. So, they are not in an effort to retain the experience which they have. But do all of them come out successfully at the end of it? The answer is no. So if I, if I work to upskill, say, 100 people, so maybe 70 of them will succeed and they will actually you know, really get upskills so and they will continue the organization. Some others may, may not succeed. It all depends on finally the individual, how capable the individual is of learning.
0: You can make the effort to design programs to upskilling employees you want to keep, which is in itself a difficult problem to solve. You can invest in training them every year. But will the skills take Will the employees be good
1: at learning? Like you can get, if I can get somebody to, you know, come join me uh, tomorrow or even if, say, after two months. Whereas the reskilling or upskilling is a much slower path, which may take, uh, say, three months or four months.
0: Upskilling employees internally is slower than hiring someone young and cheap off the market with the precise skills you needed already uploaded on the drive. Upskilling internally carries uncertainty. Because you don't know if it will succeed, if the employee will in fact emerge with the skills you need, if the employee will stay after emerging with the skills. Whereas when you hire younger people with those skills already, that risk is more or less eliminated. And there's one more reason. One HR manager I spoke to said, strictly of the record, that people just get worse at learning as they go older. Their brains get less and less plastic. This could be bias and it entirely undermines the idea of wisdom that comes with age. But it does appear that employees with more experience are thought to be worse at learning. This even further reduces the incentive of an organization to upskill their older employees. This is all to say that on one side, employees need skills over experience now more than ever. And on the other side, most businesses have less and less incentive to give it to them. Hi there, I'm Snigda,
2: the host and producer of Daybreak, a business news podcast from the Ken. Instead of chasing the daily news cycle in each episode in less than 15 minutes, I will tell you one business story that is worth understanding and worth your time episodes drop on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays. You'll find the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and all other podcast platforms. In my last episode that dropped on Monday, I spoke about UPI, the poster child of India's digital payments transformation. With its phenomenal success, UPI has changed the way Indians interact with money. And now the government of India along with other fintech platforms, is making efforts to launch UPI for international use. But there are still some important questions that remain unanswered. The government needs to ensure that UPI remains secure and reliable as it expands beyond the country's borders. Tune in to the episode to know more and if you like it, please do hit follow and rate it. Thank you for listening to The Ken and now back to cost to
0: company There's a specific idea we have about moonlighting. Moonlighting is a trend that emerged in the pandemic. Engineers tasked with sitting at home and delivering their product saw that their skills were so valuable that it was possible to extract more money out of them by working in two places at once. So a person would either consult with multiple organisations on the side using skills they had already to attract more income out of it, or they'd work in multiple places. But what we're going to talk about today is entirely different. It is moonlighting not to extract more money for the skills you already have, but moonlighting to demonstrate new skills and new experience. To talk about it, we have Prashant Gopalan, a Ken subscriber who wrote to us saying that people are taking up side gigs, not just to make money, but in some cases to make no money at all, but to upskill. Prashant works as a product manager at Reuters in Toronto. But he has a bouquet of experience. He's worked in advertising, consulting, in marketing, tech across Europe and North America.
3: Yeah, there's um, so there's a technical writer who is on a team adjacent to mine. Who in her free time is a documentary screenwriter for science and technical documentaries. So she writes. She's a freelance screenwriter writing scripts um, on technical matters for a general, broad, you know, public audience for stuff you'd watch on Netflix or Discovery. Uh, But in her day job, she writes for a more technical audience. And so being able to write for general as well as technical audiences has shaped her ability to communicate uh, and go beyond just what her job description would entail. And now she prepares briefs for a general range of executives inside the organization, whether or not she's directly in touch with them as part of her daily job. And so all of a sudden, job enlargement has happened. She's probably moving up very shortly. Perhaps increases in compensation will take place as well. Um, and all because she decided to pursue an interest on the side that was perhaps peripherally related to her main job, but now unlocks allows her to unlock a whole new set of career opportunities. Uh, another friend of mine, engineer, started a, an online sort of e-commerce business selling shoes. Um, it allowed him to go beyond just his remit of writing code to develop sort of sales and marketing skills that very quickly accelerated his career as part from being just a, an individual contributor developer to an actual sort of developer manager in half the time it took for the rest of his colleagues. Uh, And now he's launched his own startup because launching his own sort of side gig gave him the confidence and the skills he needed to pursue his own ideas rather than work on those of others. Um, There are several other examples I have. I think another, uh, a data analyst I know who started a coaching academy for underprivileged children, teaching them Excel skill sets. And now he's turned that into a venture-backed business uh, and so now it does two jobs simultaneously. You know, during the day, he's a data analyst for Fortune 500 companies. And at night, he's coaching kids from the projects on how to sort of run spreadsheet models so they can take charge of their personal finances.
0: The side projects that employees took up weren't to make money. It was to build new skills, new areas of experience and exposure.
3: You know, to survive or to thrive, it pays to have more than one solitary skill in which you sort of have somewhat a sense of mastery. Um, As you can see, we sort of live in a very fluid, chaotic, integrating socio-economy. And, uh, you know, the ability to remain relevant to your workplace, the ability to acquire skills very quickly and deploy them will establish not only your indispensability to your workplace, but also allow you to access new career opportunities you wouldn't have thought possible.
0: The side gigs give some of these careers a new lease of life. Here, employees were exercising agency in how they developed themselves outside the organizations. So a lot of people will, when they find that their roles are becoming redundant or the tech has, you know, rapidly become obsolete, Mm -hmm. um, they'll go to a Coursera course or an Udemy course. And, um, okay, so now they've learned something, but you only get paid for what you do very well. Correct. Uh, So how, where do you, so how do you bridge that?
3: Correct. It's a, it's a good question. Uh, I'll give an example. Uh, another one of my colleagues is a product designer. She works for an e-commerce sort of company here in Canada, um, and she could very quickly sense that perhaps you know there were layoffs coming, and she might, her team might be on the chopping block. Um, so she spent I think three or four months before intensively consulting pro bono, so for free, to various charities, social organizations, nonprofits. Uh, educational institutes, uh, cultural and community organizations in her in her city, uh, and s- doing work for them for free. You know, designing logos, designing sort of brand strategies and guidelines. Uh, essentially, building up a portfolio proactively. I think to your question is, you know, you find yourself redundant, and then you have to go reskill. Why would you wait till you found yourself redundant? Why not proactively focus on keeping yourself in the game by developing new skills uh, before you have to? You're doing it when you have the luxury of time and opportunity rather than waiting for something bad to happen to do so.
0: This is people working pro bono for no money at all, just to upskill. This is moonlighting to upskill. We're back to Ramki from our earlier conversation, who says something startlingly similar. Some organizations face a catch-22
1: situation, saying that only when I have with this person, I'm able to put him on a project I will be he will be able to demonstrate the skill. But unless he demonstrates the skills, I can't put him on a project. So it's such a catch-catch. So one solution I can think of that is, you know, there are a lot of open projects outside the organization, typically the open source projects or projects which are there in GitHub, which are a very good testing ground for you to demonstrate your skills. So if I have to go back to your example, let's say I have learned a Udemy course in Python and machine learning, right? And I want to go and work on a project. Now, my organization probably doesn't have a project for me yet. But if I just go and start exploring in any of these sites, be it Kaggle for machine learning or GitHub, etc., I'll find hundreds of projects. Open projects which are requiring people. And they don't really pick and choose. They don't recruit people. So if you say that, hey, this looks... And they have clearly defined what are the tasks which need to be done in the project. So if I look at that and say, hey, this this looks like something I can do. I think I know how to do this. You can jump in. You can just jump in and then say, hey, I've written this piece of code for whatever you want. Just take it out. And if you do a good job, definitely your code will get accepted. And that's like a biggest testimonial that you can show. Saying that I have contributed something to this open source project, which has got accepted. So that, so that requires some effort, right? So because it's outside your organization. But no, the opportunities are there is what I'm trying to say.
0: Even as experience itself is less valuable, what the most ambitious are seeking out now is diversity of experience. There's another more popular term for it.
3: I, since then, have sort of started subscribing to the idea of what's known as a portfolio career. Um, It's definitely an idea that's been popularized by an Indian American called Kabir Segal. Um, I think he even wrote a book about it. Um, And the idea is that your career can now be sort of composed of a variety of simultaneous pursuits only one of which may have to be your full-time job. Um, You can do several other things and view that as part of your career, either as an income stream standpoint or if it contributes to skills. And uh, taken together as a whole, your career is now this composite entity uh, called a portfolio career. And it allows you to take yourself more seriously than just your job and redefine yourself in whatever you like.
0: If you want a career that's more resilient to economic and tech shifts, Build a portfolio career. Okay, thank you. Um, why? Okay, so this. So, do you think? And now I'll ask some meta questions. Okay, do you think that a portfolio career is inevitable?
3: For our generation, I believe it may well become the default way of operating. I'm not so sure about earlier generations who perhaps maybe have a couple of decades or a decade left in their careers. But I think for our generation, when I say our, I mean sort of uh, millennials and, and younger, those who still have a few couple of decades at least left in their careers, yes, I, I think a portfolio career may become the default out of necessity for some, out of you know desire for others. Job security is it's a relatively recent phenomenon. It's more of a 20th century sort of... It's been there since the 19th century, but it's been a sort of an industrialization sort of jargon, right? The idea of secured employment, you know, things like pensions and other accoutrements of an established middle class. These are fairly new for the last 200 years or so. Our ancestors before that didn't have to think about these things. They had to hustle. You know, The skill of entrepreneurship, or at least being entrepreneurial... Uh, is going to come back into vogue, if not already.
0: Even salaried employees must today think of themselves as entrepreneurs of skills. We take bets on skills. We diversify to hedge risks. We invest in upskilling for low returns in the beginning just to get the proof of skill for the experience in the hope for higher returns later. Then we wait and see what will come handy in the future. This makes moonlighting an integral component of career growth. And what is particularly interesting is this, that the younger professionals have pretty much the same opportunities as the old to upskill and the older, more experienced have no real advantage. If the young moonlight to extract more money from the skills they already have, the old have to follow suit just to keep up there are slightly older companies like Infosys, I think Wipro put out a statement, you know, saying you cannot moonlight, it is unethical. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was this entire moment, this tension. And uh, because, the, and, and and of course, there are some people who are doing like extremely, strictly unethical things. I'm not talking about that. Like, take, course, you know, working course. for a company A, giving their data and their code to a company B. Right. This is yes. not that. Uh, but strictly in terms of do employers then have to kind of accept that a lot of your most ambitious employees are going to have um, portfolio
3: careers? Yes, wholeheartedly. So let's say 20 years ago, uh, or even 10 years ago, a lot of Indian consulting companies specialized in what colloquially used to be called you know, the IT factory, so to speak, where you would build software in sort of assembly line fashion, uh, this is of course the pre sort of tech boom, very like waterfall, um, you know, sequential fashion to build something, you test it, you QA, it, send it back for rebuilding, and it eventually, you know, it would be deployed. Um, but it didn't require a, a particular level of creativity to build because it was established technology. Um, you know, IT processors, financial aggregators, websites, that sort of thing. But since, what's happened since is that Indian companies have started moving up the value chain, meaning the demand now that's started to come towards them is for more creative and innovative work that cannot easily be deconstructed from other sources. Uh, that's not built off a template. Instead, you're requested by clients to design, conceive and design new solutions from scratch that may not have been built before. Um and so now, of course, you want employees who can think creatively, use imagination, take inspiration from many different disciplines, not just the one they were trained in formally, to you know, think out of the box and come up with solutions that they can trial and test and iterate on. If you're a company and you have to recruit, let's say you're a company like Wipro or Infosys, just for example, and you know that your clients are going to demand innovative, creative work that perhaps has not been done before, has not been done well before... Who would you rather put your money on? Would you rather hire folks who have been trained in sort of, um, you know, established systemic thinking, or folks who are learning new skills that expose them to new ideas, perhaps new ways of thinking about problems uh, and new ways of tackling challenges that you know may not always pay off, but certainly breeds in them the desire to try, to take risks, uh, and explore and develop an intellectual curiosity. Uh, I think if I was running one of these companies, it's very clear to me who I would. You know what kind of personalities I would hire.
0: Eventually, if a business wants the kind of ambitious, regularly upskilling and creative employees of the future who can stay abreast of innovation, people who like to dabble, people who like to try new things, eventually you're going to want a moonlighter. This applies to older and younger, more experienced and less experienced employees both. Which is also to say that given how rapidly the world we live in is changing, and given how rapidly the skills we need keep changing, employees will benefit from and need opportunities to expand their skills and experience outside what a business can give them. Moonlighting, for this specific reason, is here to stay.
3: And I I think once you're exposed to the fragility of what a career looks like in this landscape, you learn to take it more seriously in some ways, but also less seriously in others. Uh, You're not defined by your job. I mean, your job certainly does inform a large chunk of your life, and that that makes sense, and your career does. But your career doesn't have to be what you do in your nine-to-five
0: To talk to us about this further, we have Manoj Kambadur, co-founder of STOA, a community-based learning service that has positioned itself as an alternative to an MBA. Manoj is also a subscriber to the Ken, and he wrote to us saying that he helps young professionals take bets on skills and careers, choose them, excel at them. And so we thought we'd ask him what he thinks of all of this. How does one decide where to go moonlighting? What are the less experienced doing that the older and more experienced can learn from?
4: No, I think uh, uh, when I do this uh, mentoring session with uh, uh, youngsters, like I tell them to think about a career roadmap, right? Um, and, you know, uh, because uh, not everyone, I mean, your, your next job is not your final job, right? Uh, you, you'll have a roadmap in which you will take a certain path. Some of you might... Hit hit your you know your uh, your peak job or one of your ideal jobs uh, in the next one or two jobs. It may take you a bit longer, but uh, what what you need to carry with you is the the concept of transferable skills, right? Um, in every job, you pick up certain skills, and you know you need to make sure that whatever skills you're picking up, uh, you can actually transfer them a year later. So one of the things I tell youngsters before they take up a, a job offer is, uh, can you visualize what your resume looks like a year from now? Right, like what, what are your peak achievements? What are your key skills that you will develop, and and do you feel that you know, those skills will be valuable down the line? So, I think keep keep thinking about these transferable skills, uh, and eventually, uh, over a period of time, uh, try to try to you know become uh, try to you know, put yourself into a T shaped role, right? Like uh, it can be in marketing, you know, operations, product, uh, sales. So, try to build like a T shaped role for yourself.
0: So, have one deep skill and a bunch of um, experiences.
4: Uh, yeah, like experiences, but also those can also those can also be skills, right? Like uh, tomorrow, if you realize you want to kind of uh, uh, you know move into I don't know, let's say you're working in marketing, you know, you learn a bit of a product, also you can move into a product marketing role, possibly. So yeah, it's a mix of uh, in depth one depth and bit of experiences that you can kind of uh, then then work on it over a period of time to make a switch later on.
0: Manoj thinks that this idea of transferable skills is very important. This means we take stock of the skills we currently possess and work out what opportunities are adjacent or what functions may put those skills to use, plus develop a couple of others. How do you get experience at something you don't know?
4: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I think that's a very good question. I think one of the ways that I've noticed what people do is uh you know picking up uh you know like small projects on the site. Now this doesn't I mean, this can be moonlighting also, especially in careers such as uh you know marketing and and content. Right? I'm seeing a lot of folks do that on the site. It's very easy for them to pull it off. Um it's definitely possible. Um uh, otherwise also, you know, uh in, in today's age there are quite a few online courses wherein you know you can actually build uh your proof of work, you can learn. Uh, quite a few frameworks and mental models and also build a network uh, that will that will give you enough credibility to go out there in the market
0: and and so it first we take stock of what skills we have then we see what we need to build what are sister functions what are sister industries then uh, once we have a sense of what we need then we figure out a way to learn it, then we look for side projects, pro bono or otherwise, to sort of demonstrate ability, demonstrate experience. And then we go to our bosses or we go to new bosses and say, hey, I can do all of this. This is my proof of work. Give me more work. Help me stay relevant. Is, am I mapping this broadly?
4: yeah yeah exactly and you can even go to the market and say you know i have done these things i have picked up something new so i think i think that's exactly how you need to build you know adjacent skills gradually and, and grow your profile
0: but doing all of this only gets harder and harder as we grow older those in their 40s who find themselves urgently needing to upskill are also at an age when they're coping with a lot of responsibilities. In some cases, growing children, in some cases, aging parents or both. And even after all that upskilling, some of our most experienced employees find themselves competing with younger, more energetic talent who are often just more cheaper to hire.
1: The smarter ones, I would say the more uh, acting ones, they will get into that learning mode. They will say, "Come, whatever it is, I have to learn this. It's a question of my survival. Forget about salary, and uh, you know, I mean, uh, after forty years, why should I learn? I have so many years of experience behind me. You know, I should not be doing this, etc." The first thing I would advise such people is, you know, leave your ego out of this. Okay, leave your so-called experience out of this. They'll say, "You have. It's like going back to school. You have to learn." And but once they realize that, yes, they have to learn, and they can learn. That realization sets in. That's a tremendously, I would say, empowering feeling.
0: This is what a career now looks like, no matter who you are or what you do or how long you've done it. This is what progress now looks like.
4: This episode of Costa Company was written, hosted and produced by Sneha Vakharia with audio engineering by Rajiv C.N. I'm Shrivar and I'll be back next week with another episode on The Indian Workplace only on Costa Company. Stay tuned.